And so we have arrived here listening to God's Word in Mark chapter 9. And we begin by asking the question, how are you sorting out who you are, your identity? And why, on earth, why are you here on earth? What's your identity? And from your identity will flow your daily activities, will flow your security in life, will flow ultimately your destiny. And we have to ask that question on the personal level, and we also have to ask the question on the global level, on the macro level. So on the personal level, it may work out to be like this. So many of us now in our modern day world are trying to find our identity how? We're trying to find our identity through social media. Many of the younger folks, and all of us included, that's where we find our identity. And here's a story I read a few years ago and shared in a sermon of Amy Everett in Australia. And Amy Everett was the, uh, the face of this iconic Australian hat called a Kubra. And one day, she took her life from cyberbullying. Before she died, she completed a drawing and wrote the words, Stand up. Stand up and speak, even if your voice shakes. And the father said, this powerful message tells the dark and scary place of the beautiful place that she's been. The family launched the Stop Bullying Now campaign to raise awareness around cyberbullying, anxiety, depression, and youth suicide. It's not just a problem in the West. We have our own version of it, and we have our own quota of it. You just have to ask psychiatrists, psychologists, and counsellors all around us. So our identity, which is now so shaped by social media, determines our views, our values, our security, and ultimately, our destiny. If you ask the Ukrainian people what is the number one, whose identity are they trying to work out? And you now ask whose identity is the world trying to work out, we're trying to work out the identity of Putin. And what gives the right to this man to make unilateral war against a neighbouring country, to invoke such hurt and harm and, and death and disaster, and you have to trace him back all the way to, I do not know, his KGB days, because when you work out his identity, you work out what his views are, what his values are, and you work out his securities and insecurities, and how that bears upon, for him, Russian security is number one or the glory days of the Russian Empire. So identity does affect each other. And most of us don't realize from the personal level to the macro level, we adopt a win or lose. It's no win-win. If we win Russian security, it must be at your expense. If Ukraine wins its identity and security, it's our expense. That's the world we live in. It was the same world that Jesus walked into 2,000 years ago. But I say to you, the most important identity you and me have to work out is getting Jesus' identity correct. And so in this huge portion from chapter 8 to chapter 10, verse 52, it begins with the blind man hill at Bethsaida, and then it ends with the blind Bartimaeus hill at Jericho. And sandwiched in between an event that jumps out at us in here in the blue words is Jesus' identity is revealed. It's a sandwich thing. 
And beginning with the disciples, beginning with the crowds, beginning with Israel, they should put all their time and energy trying to sort out who Jesus is. And when they sort out the true identity of Jesus, they will sort out their true identity. It's the same for us today. I ask of you that you would give you your time and energy to sorting out not just the Putins of this world who will come and go, but sorting out Jesus who will reign forever and ever. Amen? And every time you gather here, every time you tune into this, wherever you're tuning in, and some could be tuning in from Russia, some could be tuning in from Ukraine, we just have to ask our fellows, where are they tuning in from? Some could be tuning in from all over. Getting the identity of Jesus right is the most important. And the importance of Jesus' identity in this portion is a combination of the suffering Messiah and the glorious Messiah. Jesus as the suffering and glorious Messiah. And we're going to take a look at two key passages in chapter 9. Firstly, Jesus and his teaching about greatness and Jesus and his teaching about sin, the seriousness of sin. And once you unpack those two things, we will understand the importance of his suffering and his glory for our identity. And so in Mark's Gospel for 16 chapters, Jesus asks in Mark 8, who do people say I am? And then he turns to the disciples and asks them, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. By the end of the gospel, it is a non-Jew who identifies Jesus correctly. He's a centurion and he says, he is the son of God. You are the Christ. You are the son of God. Two key identifications of Jesus. I was preaching a few years ago at Bishan, and after the service, I remember it was 11.30 service, we were at the auditorium, and this man who looked like a, a foreigner, a visitor here, obviously not Malay, Chinese or Indian, but so I found out he was a modern-day Jew, a modern-day Israeli. And he sat at the back of the auditorium, and he came and said, it's so interesting to hear you, a Chinese man, Speak about Jesus. <laughs> Speak about the Messiah. Right? It's so interesting. He has to sort it out. I have to sort it out. We, we all have to sort it out, depending on, regardless of our racial group. And if they're still waiting in Israel for the glorious Messiah to come, they have missed the true identity of Jesus. And just to get it right for you, the Jewish expectations of the Christ ran along these lines, Psalms of Solomon, extra-biblical literature. Raise up for them their king, the son of David, and gird him with strength, that he may shatter the unrighteous rulers, that he might purge Jerusalem of nations that trample her, foreign nations that conquer her. He shall have the nations serve him under his yoke. So what do we call this? This was one of their messianic hopes. And what kind of Messiah were they waiting for? Look carefully, right? This king will be the son of David, and he will be girded with strength, strong enough to shatter the unrighteous rulers. If I read this now and preach this to Ukrainians, they will hold fast to this. Who will come and save them? Who will come and deliver them from Putin? Perch Jerusalem, perch Kiev of nations that tremble her, he shall have the nations serve him 
under his yoke. I read from another one. It's called the Messianic Rule 2. And then the Messiah of Israel shall come, and the chief of the clans will sit with him in order of dignity. So they're looking to glory days in which their king will rule over all nations. They're looking to glory days when their king comes, they will all sit in dignity and with rank and recognition. Jesus comes along and now there are three predictions about three predictions about his weakness, not his strength. Three predictions about his suffering, not his enthronement. Three predictions about the cross. What is this? And we saw this last week. That he, and the Greek word is dei, which means divine necessity. God has purpose, God has plan, God has purpose, God has plan. God has timed this to perfection. Then in the perfection of time, his Messiah will come. And when the Messiah comes, he must suffer many things. He must be rejected by the whole of Israel, beginning with the leaders. He must be killed and he must be raised. And in Singlish here, if you're tuning in from overseas, there's a phrase that we have here, Singlish, die, die, must try in terms of food because we are food lovers. And this is die, die, must happen to Jesus. Here is Jesus' bucket list. And Jesus' bucket list is none other than the cross. To say that it was the bucket is too light a word. So how many of you are born with the goal that you should die? And we don't mean by suicide. With intentionality, it fulfills God. So here is King Jesus and you and me. 2,000 years ago and today, there was a wonderful musical years and years ago called The King and I. You've ever watched that? But the Siamese King, right? But here is the King, here is King Jesus and I, He's the crucified king, he must suffer, he must be rejected, and he must be killed. And as people who follow him, Jesus says three things must happen to us for true discipleship. And the three things are, we must deny ourselves, we must take up the cross, be fully identified with the most humiliating thing, the cross. And then we follow him regardless. And that's how we share in his suffering, that's how we share in his rejection. That's how we share in his death. And that's how we share in his victory. With that backdrop, and only with that backdrop and context, can you understand Mark chapter 9. After six days, Jesus took with him the inner circle. The inner circle among the twelve are Peter, James, and John. And led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured, and the Greek word is metaphote, before them. And his words became, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. Isn't that an interesting word? That this word existed 2,000 years ago, could bleach them. And there appeared, and there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say. This experience was so overwhelming. Have you ever been in a situation in which you are so overwhelmed, you just utter something that is totally ridiculous or out of whack? And for they were terrified, and the cloud overshadowed them, 
and a voice out of the cloud. This is my son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus alone. What on earth is the significance of this? The first thing to take note right, is the word metaphorte, from which we get the English word metamorphosis. Basically, you use it, it's like a transformation from, uh, of a butterfly, right? All of a sudden, it was this, and then it became this, and you can't see the connection between the two. And here we have Jesus transfigured, metamorphosed before their very eyes. And what is this about Moses, Elijah and Moses? And most commentators would think that Elijah is probably representative of all the prophets. There is validity there. And Moses, he is representative of the law, the Ten Commandments given to Israel for them to be holy and distinctive and worshipful of God. But there is a possible interpretation that they are not just mere representatives of the prophets and the law, but Elijah and Moses in the Old Testament have been predicted to be end-time prophets. That before the Messiah comes, when the Messiah comes to usher in the final, full, perfect rule of God, these prophets will come. And could it be that? And whether you investigate the life of Elijah or Moses, they were always calling their people to repentance. So re God's word and repentance are not things we truly experience in our life. Repentance means you're thinking one way, you're walking one way. I'm walking this way. Can the camera catch me? And sudden, I'm struck by God. I think differently. I turn around. That's repentance. It's not... You mustn't ever say, I, I changed, I totally changed now. I turned around 360 degrees. You turn around 360 degrees, right? You're back to the same spot. You turn around 180 degrees. That's metanoia. That's repentance. A change of mind, a change of heart, a change of direction of life. And so God always sent His prophets to speak His word because Israel was always going on autonomy, independence of God forgetfulness of God, ungratefulness of God, and God would send. And could it be that Jesus is God's ultimate call to repentance? I would think so. There's God's final call to repentance. So I had a phone call with this person in Australia to, arranging for me to go to speak at a conference there, and not easy lining up things for a conference now. You have to see what's happening in different countries, what's happening in different capital cities, etc., etc. And he's totally in charge of this conference site, this campsite, Christian campsite. And he said, yeah, looks like Easter is, is not likely. We probably have to postpone it in October or, or the end of the year. He said, okay, and we chatted a little bit. Then I got to asking about how he was personally. How he was personally, he said, uh, Chris, I've just had a health scare. I've been having this thing, I, we thought it was pneumonia, it would go away, but went for a checkup and the doctor saw the x-ray, said it could only be two things, it's either lymphoma, right, cancer of your glands, right, or it is a serious lung illness. And I said, I'm so sorry to hear that. I said, it's okay, don't be sorry, because um, it was God's way to deal with me. I said, why? 
Because I've given my heart to this campsite, given my heart to this uh, ministry and this conference, arranging thing, and, and um, didn't spend enough time with my wife, didn't spend enough time with my children. And then I tried to paraphrase what he said, I'm so glad God has taken away my ability to choose. Because he now has to totally metanoia. He has to repent, he has to turn that even ministry could be an idolatry, that spending time with his wife and his children is his first ministry under Jesus. Amen? When you hear the word of God, when you hear the gospel, when you hear the gospel finally proclaimed in Jesus, it's time to repent. That's the big word. So when is it harder to listen to the Son of Man? Look hard at what happened to Elijah, right? Every prophet that sent and Elijah sent, he's the done-to prophet. You know, done-to, a clash of kings and kingdom. You expected the Messiah to be powerful. He does things. He does things to other kings. He, he, he rules over others. But Jesus is suffering Messiah. He's powerless and things are done to him. And he's not the, he's the done-in Messiah. He'll be betrayed. And we're going to read that. And so it's a huge thing. And what's the huge thing that's here? Jesus' transfiguration. The three biggies of God, Elijah, Moses, Jesus, they got three bewildered disciples. He, and Peter suggests, why don't I build three tents? Is this fearful speech? Is this mindless speech? Is this speech that he just blurts out? And maybe it's speech that says, this is such a wonderful experience. I'm seeing you transform before my very eyes. I'm seeing Elijah and Moses. Was that true? The dialogue, did they wear a name tag that says Elijah? Did they wear a name tag that said Moses? Or did they identify themselves in the conversation and he said, that's Elijah, that's Moses, that's Jesus. Whatever it is, it was an experience he wanted to capture permanently. Have you ever wanted an experience to last forever? Of course. You want your holiday to be forever. Is that true? Especially a good holiday. Oh, blessed moment with your father, a blessed moment with your mother, a blessed moment with your husband or wife, your children. You want this thing to last forever. This is Jesus being transformed with your very eyes. And why is this important? God's revelation, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And all those passages are for you to check out. Faith comes from hearing God's word. We know that. But here's the thing that we must get right from this point onwards. Faith, true faith, comes from hearing God's word fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That is the only thing, that is the only one who will give you your full identity and your full security and guarantee your destiny for all eternity. So here is the clearest picture of the identity of Jesus. He's both the suffering Christ and the glorious Christ. That's why his first prediction of his suffering in 831 is balanced off and compensated by his transfiguration recorded for us in Mark chapter 9. Just in case they only get one picture, he's the suffering Christ. And why believe in the suffering Christ if there is no resurrection and there is no glory? Jesus gives the inner circle a small snapshot and glimpse. After I die, after I rise, after I ascend, I 
will be the glorified Christ. You can trust in me. That's why the two things are put side by side between Mark 8 and Mark 9, to grant them encouragement of the true identity of Jesus. And then from this point onwards, every time Jesus predicts, there is teaching about discipleship. And what's the second prediction? They went on from there and passed through Galilee. He did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. You know, all that language that is there means that he has no control over his life. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to be delivered. And so he's going to be betrayed by Judas. He's going to be handed over by Judas to the Jewish religious teachers. And the Jewish religious teachers will give him a, a sham trial and hand him over to the Roman rulers who will, who will sentence him to death. What do you call such a man? Totally no control of his life. Let alone come into your life to rule over you and give you security and destiny. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And so what does deny yourself, take up the cross and follow Jesus really mean? We have to get this suffering bit correct. To deny self, take up the cross and follow Jesus, to believe that he is done to and done in, he will be delivered so passively and helplessly from Judas, by Judas, to religious teachers, religious teachers to the political masters, is not God's call to be victimized, is not God's call to be traumatized, is not God's call to be marginalized, is not God's call to be a pawn. It's actually a call to be saved from our mistaken identity and glory from this world. Because he told you if, you, if you gain the whole world, you will lose your soul. What good does it mean good for a man to gain the world but to lose his soul? And so what on earth does this mean? It means this, that you won't find this from the world. You won't find this from the world. And you don't need this from the world. It's vitally important. So let me just pause there. You're still trying to find your identity and your glory from the world? If you still are, you will never be a follower of Jesus. You must increasingly, by the grace of God, die to that. And so in one of the consultations I was in, it was pretty much uh, in-house and how does the gospel go out in South Asia and different parts and they were all sharing and as person after person shared about how the gospel was going forward in, in Nepal and Tibet and, and India and Pakistan and different places, shared stories of one leader just got up and said, I'm standing here free. I don't know how I got my visa to come, but as I stand here free to share the persecution of my people, my fellow co-worker is beaten and in, in jail, and I don't know when I get back, I will find him alive or dead. Then another leader gets up and shares, right? 
of a young leader. He is a pastor who is mentoring a younger man. And this younger man just got engaged. And just got engaged. And his proposal to his fiancée was, um, if you get married to me, it's an invitation to die. Because I'm going to be a pastor. And here in this part of South Asia, they don't really like Christians. What do you call these people? I sat there thinking, what's my suffering here in Singapore? What's my suffering here in Singapore compared to that? What's your suffering here compared to our brothers and sisters in Christ who are really persecuted for this? For the young man who proposed to his fiancée and said, if you marry me, is not an invitation to a blissful married life. It's not an invitation to security. If you marry me, it's an invitation to possibly die with me in serving Jesus. We can't get our identity and security from the world. And whatever the world gives us is fleeting and is passing. So the second teaching of discipleship, they kept silent. On the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve and said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last and servant of all. And he took a child, put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Jesus, his pattern is for the three predictions. Prediction, teaching on discipleship, cause of discipleship. Prediction, the cause of discipleship. So Jesus was a little bit upset with what? That after the first prediction, the disciples could be talking about greatness. But it's understandable because I just read to you the two messianic expectations. When the Messiah comes, they will be reasoning about who sits in positions of dignity as he comes as glorious king. And Jesus sat down and explained this to them. Right? And the precious lessons... Children then in an agricultural world, children in a Jewish world is different to children, many of us are Asians, in an Asian society. Children in Asian societies, children in Chinese societies, the majority of us are Chinese here in Singapore, they are the little kings and queens and princes. In agricultural society, in Jewish society, children have a different packing order. In the ancient world, which was mainly farming and agricultural children, children, uh, agricultural world, children were considered a burden until children are considered a what? A burden until, until they were old enough and strong enough to help out in the field, on the farm. So their usefulness was age-specific. Their usefulness was society-dependent. So it was with Jewish culture. Children had no importance until they could value add. So you can't value add to this family in terms of labour and finances, then you are of no value. You got nothing to bring to the table because you are too young, don't come to the table of negotiation. 
And so children had no idea of rank, no importance to them. Children are not important. And so children who are not important, right? This was the deep-seated view of Jesus' disciples. And they were acting as bouncers to a very, very important event. And basically with the crowds coming to Jesus, they were saying to children, no unimportant people among the important Messiah. No unimportant people like children should be hanging around a very important person called possibly the Messiah. That was the thinking of the disciples. But Jesus' words and actions reveal a radically different world. A radically different world. In Jewish society, the temple was strictly out of bounds. It was definitely out of bounds for children. But here is God's Son, Jesus, welcoming them, the children, not out of bounds for the earthly Jerusalem, but invited to the heavenly Jerusalem because He's invited them as King. You picture this mentally. It is laughable and yet it is frightening. How would you like it one day if you tune into our parliament sitting, right? And you find the Speaker of the House is a three-year-old. Not Tan Tuan Jin going back in years, you know. But he's really a three-year-old. And then the, the Prime Minister is a five-year-old. For the life of me, is that what Jesus is saying? That the kingdom belongs to such as this? The little ones? The people with no rank, no importance in human society? So, Jesus corrects them. He takes a child, wraps his arms around him. Hey, what's he doing, this Messiah? He's rubbing shoulders with a kid. Are you kidding? This Messiah has no business rubbing shoulders with a kid. He should be rubbing shoulders with the priests, with the elders, with the scribes, with the all-important people. He's rubbing shoulders with the wrong people. Children, I say again, are seen as weak. They are incomplete. They are miniature adults until they arrive to contribute to the family. They are unaccomplished and they are nothing. They, they don't value add. And so here is Jesus, the first, the greatest, making himself last by serving the child. He's rubbing shoulders with a nobody. Lesson? What does it mean to follow Jesus Messiah? Lesson? If the first lesson was, you got to die to self, take up the cross, follow him, you got to follow Jesus in complete humility. You got to follow Jesus in complete humility because the Messiah came to us in complete humility. He gave up the glories of heaven to come to earth and his humility will make him fulfill the divine necessity. It is his complete humility that will take him from heaven to earth and from earth to the cross. It is complete humility that will fulfill God's divine necessity. You believe that? Very important we get this right. And so Jesus in great greatness, you don't get your identity in greatness from the world. We don't need it from the world and we can't get it from the world. If you follow Jesus, you get greatness from servant-heartedness. You get greatness by being the lowest, 
We need it and we can only get it from Jesus. There is no other person like him. He's top of the food chain by being the bottom of the food chain. He is the servant king. He'll be enthroned not by spending billions of dollars for his enthronement. He'll be enthroned through the cross. And so humility is what will fulfill divine necessity. So what does that mean for you and me? Never treat as unimportant who God treats as important. Never treat as unimportant who God treats as important. Always treasure those that God treasures, and Jesus here is treasuring children. So what does that mean for us? Let me go backwards first. And so I shared the story of the conversation with a brother in Christ. He's so thankful that God took away his ability to choose. Now through his illness, he is forced to choose his wife and his children, whom he never should have put as number two. I just want to ask you then, right? Through all the years here, I've always encouraged you as pastor to do this. To do what? That uh, no matter how far and how fast you climb the career ladder, always pause long enough for the unimportant people of this world. That's why we plunge all in to help the migrant workers. All in to adopt them as a dom. And Pastor Lang Yong led that work. And we're still going to do that work by God's grace. As God gives us ARPC and Tengah, it will take 20 years to build the whole of Tengah over 20 years. How many thousands of guest workers will be there just two streets away from where we are at Bukit Batok West? Is it a God-given opportunity not simply to reach out to the Singaporeans who will be there, but to reach out before the Singaporeans actually arrived on the, in their BTO flats for the thousands of them who work here, away from their families, will never hear the gospel, but in some small act, we can share the love of God. When you see a migrant worker, and we just drove past Little India, and my wife says, so beautiful to see. Right? We come out, and there's nowhere for them to sit and fellowship, just find a tree, find a void deck, and just sit there. And all we do is complain, yeah, they do this, they do that, they dirty the place. My goodness, they stay in dorms. They come out. Nobody welcomes them anywhere. Just think of how the Polish are welcoming the Ukrainians. Two million have poured out of Ukraine. If I didn't watch fake videos and you didn't watch fake videos, you know how the Polish are welcoming the Ukrainians? Just hugging them. Welcome here. Give you food. Give you an apartment. Give you... you know what it's like if you're Ukrainian? You say goodbye as a man who's, who says, I'm going to die here. I'm going to find my land. You take wife, children, you go. I don't know whether I'm going to meet you. Where am I going to meet you? You walk out of your house with nothing. These are the little people of the world. And the church of Jesus Christ is full of little people beginning with the disciples. And so Mona's friend, fellow worker with her in Scripture Union, he sent us a picture before they surrounded Kiev and we haven't heard from him. It's down in the bunker. The bunker was built 
right? The bunker was built to keep out NATO forces. Now the bunker is built, is used to defend themselves against the Russians. And there he is in the picture with a Bible there. And he's been preaching the gospel to them in Orthodox Ukraine, preaching about Jesus Christ unashamed, year in, year out. Anybody listen to him? When we as the Church of Jesus Christ come along, over 2,000 years, we have always been treated as nothing. But when you walk out of your home, when you're facing death, the name of Jesus is the only name you can rely on. Amen? Then you know the one who stood there opening the Bible, exalting you to believe in Jesus through sickness and tragedy is a not a nobody. That person is connecting you to Jesus and connecting you to God. Never get used to treating as unimportant who God regards as important. We are the unimportant ones of the world. And so, my friends, it's not just the guest workers, it's not just the Ukrainians, it's us and asking very important questions of ourselves. And important questions of ourselves, have you climbed so far up the career ladder that your spouse could have become unimportant to you? Have you climbed so far the career ladder or so busy in your job that your aged parent has become unimportant to you? Have you become so busy and so important that your children, you think you have to spend time with your children when the right word you should use, you are not spending time with your children, you are investing time with your children. Please make that repentance. I'm not spending time with my children, I'm not wasting time with my children, I'm investing time with my children. Amen? Uh, one person say amen. Yeah. What about the rest of us? What about us on, online? We've got a 10-month-old granddaughter. Every time we go and spend time with her, it's investing time with her. Amen? I, I, I like to think when she sees me, Grandpa has come, Grandma has come. That's so great, right? Have you become so important and so busy that you got no time? What breaks my heart a lot of times when I take my prayer box, East Coast Park, wherever, Botanic Gardens, McRitchie, etc., is to see a significant number of our old folks, grandparents, fathers, mothers, the only people who have time for them are their domestic helpers. And I thought to, my, I think to myself, yes, people must work. But I would like to see out of 10 old folks out there, maybe slightly more than five are with their children. But I see the majority of them are with domestic helpers. Can you not carve out some time once a week to take your father or your mother or your grandfather or grandmother for a simple one-hour walk somewhere? Never treat as unimportant who God treats as important. One day, you and I will be unimportant. Amen? Amen as it's true, not good. And then you would realize that I shouldn't have done that. Last but not least, Jesus and sin. If your hand causes you to sin, you cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands than to go to hell. 
to the unquenchable fire. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life mean than two feet to be thrown into hell. Time has passed. I can only but summarize this. You know what Jesus is saying? Here he is. You must get my identity absolutely right, suffering and glory. Here it is, the second prediction with the second cause of discipleship. Greatness in the kingdom is you must choose to be last, choose to be unimportant, choose to be like the servant king. And here is Jesus, Jesus and sin. And Jesus teaching about sin, this is what it's come for. If your eye causes you to sin, you tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where your worm does not die and the fire is not quenched which tells you hell in Jesus' mind is not an idea, is not theory. And hell is not the end game. The suffering goes on forever. The suffering goes on forever. I do not know about you. That's enough to scare me out of hell into heaven. And Jesus' teaching about sin is this. You want to be serious about anything, don't be serious about greatness in this kingdom, in this world. You can't get it from the world and you don't need it from the world. You want greatness, you'll get it from me as you learn to be a servant, and you need it from me. If you want to spend time with anything, spend time thinking of getting serious about sin. And Jesus is saying, whether it's your hands, whether it's feet, whether it's your eyes, there is no sin worth going to hell for. The next time you and me are tempted to sin in thought and word and deed, Please remember Jesus' teaching. There is no sin so pleasurable that you are willing and foolish and proud enough to go to hell for, for all eternity. That's what Jesus came for, brothers and sisters in Christ. It's better to do the 180 degree turn, the repentance now, no matter how painful the repentance may be. And repentance is always painful. You feel that your hand has gotten so used to sinning, your feet has gotten so used to taking you to places and doing things you shouldn't do. Your eyes are so used to be turned on by the wrong things. You think you cannot stop this. You can, by the grace of God, by the finished work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Holy Word of God working in your lives. Amen? Very important that we get this right. And there is no other name, no other person you can turn to but Jesus for this. Let's stand and pray together. And by your grace and by your spirit, help us to spend time humbly, truly sorting out who you are, your identity, and then understanding who we truly are for our security and eternal destiny, that we should spend our time pondering that it's your, hu your humility that has crushed our pride, that it's your death for us that has taken away our sin and offered us eternal life. You are indeed the suffering Christ and the glorious Christ. May we be unashamed to believe in you and follow you no matter what the cost. In your mighty name, we always pray for our salvation, for our witness to the world. And we pray now especially for the Ukrainian people, beginning with Ukrainian Christians and churches, that they will be so strengthened by you 
to shine a light in a place of war, a place of death, a place of helplessness. And we pray that we'll stand alongside and to know that we live in a world that wars from beginning to end. And thank you, Heavenly Father, for sending your Son to bring this war to an end by the, by the death of Jesus and resurrection of Jesus. To him we turn and find our eternal security and destiny. Amen.